Hello and welcome to the Own Your Role podcast. I'm your host, Dean Watt, and I'm your guide to exceptional leadership and dynamic culture in your business. Join me each week as we explore practical tips through fun and fascinating interviews with successful business owners who've mastered the art of leadership. Over the last 20 years as a keynote speaker, author, and high-performing team transformation specialist, I've been fascinated by what it takes to create a great culture and dedicated team members in a business. When leaders truly own their roles and empower their team members to do the same, a great culture is always the result. So whether you're on your couch or in your car, on a treadmill or hiking up a hill, get ready to be inspired and entertained as you learn exactly how to own your role. And welcome once again, everybody, to the Own Your Role podcast. I'm your host, Dino Watt, and excited again to have awesome entrepreneurs that we get to interview, unique entrepreneurs we get to interview, and find out about what makes them tick, why they chose what they did, and how some of the best practices that they've found in their business can help you in your own business as well. Again, I'd like to thank everybody who has shared this podcast with their friends and colleagues who found value in it and felt found so much value that they felt like they can share it with others. That really means a lot to us. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you get notified when we send out a new podcast, which is just about every week with a new unique entrepreneur where you can spend 40 to 50 minutes with us learning about you and your business. So however you've learned about this podcast, thank you for being here. And we look forward to sharing more information with you. Today, our guest is Ethan Bull, who has, first of all, an amazing book called The 29-Hour Workday, which is something we'll talk about quite a bit because it's such a contrast to the four-hour work week, right? So excited about hearing that. And then really understanding how to leverage yourself through Reimagining what the executive assistant can do for you and your life. Uh, for those of you that have read my first book, The Practice RX, I have a specific section in there called Live Like a Rockstar, which is all about rock stars and uh, actors and successful people all have people who do the things for them that they don't have time or shouldn't be doing. So I bet we'll get a little bit into that, into that conversation here. So that being said, again, thank you for being here and let's get started with the show. Ethan, welcome to the show. Dino, thanks for having me, man. Yes, excited to talk to you. And uh, first of all, we start off every show with just getting to know you, wanting to know your story. I believe stories connect every one of us on the planet. We all got them. So I'd love to hear your story of how you got here. Why did you decide to get into this space? And even a little bit about your your further background. Sounds like you, from what we talked about earlier, you've known your wife for quite a while. All that stuff is great. Yeah, well, you know, I, I would say it's a little bit of a roundabout way on how we got here. Okay. To start, I mean, just the quick little thumbnail. Grew up in a town of about 15,000 people in upstate New York. My dad was a serial entrepreneur. My stepfather was a personal injury attorney who ran his own office as an entrepreneur as well. And I felt stifled. Uh, very, I hated not having anonymity in a small town. So I ran away to Boston for school, uh, went to studied in Australia for six months, um, played music down under. And that kind of really opened my eyes saying, look, I'm going to this specialty business school outside of Boston, thinking I'm going to be this business owner entrepreneur. But yet I started to fall in love with music, uh, the entertainment industry, and I wanted to combine the two. 
So I came back uh, from Australia, got a job working at WIA, which is Warner Electra Atlantic, the Warner Brothers labels under Warner Brothers. And through there, as I was graduating, I heard about a film shooting in New York City called Addicted to Love. They needed a PA. And I moved down to New York City right after graduating and, and worked on Addicted to Love for four months and kind of fell in love with film. And I spent five years in the entertainment industry, uh, both working on set and in production offices as a production secretary and assistant production coordinator, which are kind of roles like uh, an executive assistant on steroids, if you will. Um, and then I pushed a mail cart in William Morris uh, in New York City in the basement, delivering mail as an agent trainee uh, and worked as an assistant there and then also worked as an assistant at USA Films for the chairman as his second assistant when we were making the movie Traffic by Steven Soderbergh. And after that, I kind of transitioned into advertising as an executive assistant so I could chase dreams outside of the office. You know, I was running open mics, I was writing screenplays, I was directing short films, and you wake up 10 years later and you have a career as an executive assistant. <laughs> uh, during that time, I met my wife and she worked as an executive assistant for two hedge fund CEOs, as well as the CEO, Jay Crew. And, um, you know, it was, it was an amazing time. We had our first son in New York. We bought a condo. We had our big Bernie's mountain dog, lived in Long Island City. And then when our second son came knocking, I did what a lot of people say, and uh, in terms of I'm never moving back home ever again. And we moved back home and I'm sitting a block away from the house I grew up in. And uh, and then we can talk about how the business started, but that kind of gives you the foundation. Well, no, that's a great foundation because, uh, so I know you didn't know this, and I don't even know how many members uh, or, or listeners know this about myself, but I have similar background in the entertainment industry. I started in LA and all that space but I wanted to be an actor and a performer and that was my goal in life. And that's where I was going. And, you know, I lived in Japan for a couple of years and I came back, I uh, moved straight to LA, started doing the actor thing, being an extra in every movie I could think of. But my parents really wanted me to go to college and I really did not want to go to college. I, I, I had no desire whatsoever. And I signed up and the night before I saw an ad on TV. I'd never seen the ad since. I don't even know what it was, why it showed up that night, but it talked about doing hair for the stars. And I had a good friend whose mom, or a friend whose mom was Dustin Hoppin's personal hairdresser. And I went, you know, I've never cared about doing hair, but in school plays and stuff, I love the makeup side of things. I love like the gore and I pop out an eye for Halloween or whatever. So I went, I wonder if I could appease my parents by finding a college that I could learn at to do that and do that. And I did. Long story short, I was in the industry for about five years, too. I was a makeup artist. I produced my own television show and I got it sold for uh, about 13 million. And then a week later, the company was bankrupt. So that was always fun. Uh, oh, but oh. it's through the dot bomb and it, I sold it to a, a website thing. They were going to put five minute shorts online way before mm -hmm. YouTube. And uh, just so frustrating. But again, kind of fell, found myself back to my roots and uh, decided at one point that the entertainment industry wasn't conducive to having, to being the father I wanted to be and being home, you know, and I'm sure you understand that, but wow, crazy, crazy, crazy. 
I love that. Let me ask you a question. Uh, first of all, what uh, instrument did you play in your band? Um, piano, percussion, guitar, sing. Wow, all of it. Pretty much, pretty much all of it. Yeah, and uh, the business running our business now is kind of pushed the music side uh, to the side for a while, but it'll always be something I go back to. And I still have that, you know, whether it's a, a great American novel or great American screenplay that is kicking around in my brain. And um, someday that'll come. The goal is to make the business is big enough to where we can sell it and I can go off and make my movie as, as, uh, as how I want. But you know, that I, I love the, the relationship between director and actor on set. That is just really, yeah. really fascinating to me. And the thing about the entertainment industry is the assistant position really is the stepping stone for and in the the open the first open door for about 80 yeah. percent unless you're dealing with uh, nepotism. Um, so, you know, that's that's kind of that's my path. Yeah. Well, yeah. as a matter of fact, that's why when you said you went to be a P.A., I knew that was my option. And I'm like, man, I really don't want to be a PA. I saw so many PAs just standing around in the rain, you know, cold. Yeah. The radio. And that's why I got, I thought, well, with makeup, I could still be on set. I could still get to know the right people. And I could say, and I did. And that's what I did. Right. So, yeah. No, same, same thing. I get it. And I have the great American uh, musical in my head. So I there have you a, go. A yeah. So yeah. obviously the experience you had with being an executive assistant, which by the way, I even wrote down on my notes here. I think a lot of people start businesses, yes, because they're trying to fill a void or whatever, but I don't, there's not always a lot of people who have the experience of actually doing the thing in such a deep manner. You just walked us through how many times and how long you were an executive assistant. You know what it takes to be a good executive assistant. And so that probably helps you in figuring out how to find the right people to hire when it comes to what you do with the 24 hour workday. Yeah, no. Well, the the book um, is is kind of an an add on. It's it the the subtitle is a high performer's guide to leveraging your EA. Uh, we like to think of it as an instruction manual, and so it kind of goes part and parcel with our service business, which is providing fractional remote executive assistant support to entrepreneurs, founders, business owners, non executive board directors, high net worth individuals at a different level under a different model than what most people think of as virtual assistants. And there is kind of a big difference there. Um, and so that's kind of where we saw a gap. And I think the world is going in a way where a lot of opportunity is out there for people who have expertise from their career to then productize their knowledge and their role and fractionalize it for small and medium-sized businesses and, and hang their shingle as opposed to just getting another full-time role with a company. Yeah. And you'll get the benefits of business ownership. You'll get the benefits of managing your calendar and your schedule. You get the benefit of saying no, you know, to a prospect that's not the right fit. Um, and, you know, the rise of fractional CXOs and service professionals combined with the SaaS products that are out there combined with the internet kind of wiping away the geographical boundaries 
allows for a solopreneur who has deep expertise, say as a CMO or a CTO or an executive assistant to launch their own business. And, you know, and that's what we are doing. And we're basically an agency. So I go back to my William Morris days for executive assistants. And we spot good talent that agrees to work a certain way. And then we have, you know, then we hopefully have prospects coming in who to agree, who agree to work a certain way. And then we partner them together. And we have clients who've been with us since 2018. Um, so it can create that kind of recurring revenue, that long lasting relationship. And we hope it's a win, win, win all the way around. And given that some clients have been with us for multiple years, it, um, it seems to be working. Yeah, obviously it's working. Well, you mentioned something I think we would need to go back to that to clarify, you said, so what's the difference between a VA and an EA? Well, when we ended up moving to upstate New York back out of New York city, when, when, when we had our second son, we realized that we're, we're six hours North of New York city. And we realized that the term executive assistant kind of is a little, means something different than it does in major metropolitan areas. And I was fortunate enough to get one of the high level roles in Rochester, New York, that was commensurate with our experience. But Stephanie um, stayed at home with the kids. And then after a year, a friend of ours reached out and said, hey, I know this Fortune 100 consultant. She travels the world. She, does, she doesn't care where her assistant is. She needs great support and she doesn't need full time. Mm-hmm. Are you interested? And that, you know, kind of sent us down this road of researching what all these U.S.-based virtual assistant companies are doing, their business model. And compared to hiring a full-time assistant and we noticed this large gap and that's where we've positioned pro assisting because as executive assistants making well into the six figures working for 18 dollars an hour for a us-based virtual assistant firm and having eight clients a month each of them at varying levels of hours month in and month out just didn't align with how we view the role and, you know, you, you mentioned the four hour work week, Tim Ferriss's book in 2007, and that kind of really put a flag in the ground around virtual assistance from overseas that you can right. pay $6 an hour to run your multi-million dollar business. Right. It's a great thing if you can get it, but what we found is that to get the top level EA talent, you need to compensate them appropriately. And so 80% of our retainers are passed on directly to our assistants. Uh, they're making, they're, they're being compensated commensurate with their experience. And along with that comes that experience and it comes that exclusivity and they get to know you and your business in a way that ha- creates legacy knowledge and makes them more efficient. So I'm not saying you can't get that from a virtual assistant firm in the States, but a lot of times they they have higher turnover and we found that a lot of those virtual assistants quickly realize that they're being undercompensated. I also would say that I, I think sometimes um, it sounds like anyway, the executive assistant, they're looking at this number one, obviously because of the pay, but also because of what they obviously probably enjoy doing as a career where 
maybe virtual assistants look at this as a job that will get them through until the next thing comes along. And like you said, I found that I even have one now who has two other clients besides me. So yeah. she's not dedicated just to me where the executive assistant, that's your assistant. And she's only working for you the full time. Is that correct? No, that that's, that's actually our model. Um, I mean, we start at one third, the resources, the maximum number of clients that one of our EAs has is three. Um, We go from one third resources to 50% resources to two third resources. We have a couple clients that have full resource, their assistant, but a lot of times we serve as that bridge for that growing company to be very tactical and strategic about how they're spending their balance sheet to meet their needs. So they may have a fractional CMO and a fractional CFO, and then they partner with one of our EAs fractionally. And for the cost of one big full-time hire, they're actually covering three of their bases. And then as they grow, they can either increase their resources with us or realize that they need a full-time EA. And then that's when they can recruit. We can help in the interview, the training, the offboarding professionally and be that bridge. Okay, so let's talk about for people who maybe have never had an executive system before or don't understand the concept, like what is an executive system going to do for you that I can't just do for myself? Because, you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who watch this or listen to this. There's a lot of people who are perfectionists. There are a lot of people who spend a lot of their time working in their business, not on their business to be cliche that way. What, what can I expect an EA to do? In our book and the way we view it, um, there are five performance multipliers that kind of are the verticals of being a great executive assistant. Business partner, chief of staff, project manager, assistant slash scheduler, if you will, and personal assistant. And so we find that anything that a top level executive assistant does can fall under one of those five categories. Now, if you as a business owner know your hourly rate, so basically take EBITDA for the year or your profit for the year divided by 2080, and that is your hourly rate, if you can cut that hour, like let's say your hourly rate's $200 an hour and you cut it in half, anything you can get done by an executive assistant for less than $100 an hour probably makes sense to have them do that. Sure. And so that's kind of an easier way to frame it in terms of what, when should I use an assistant or how much should I be paying my assistant or or what does that look like? But in terms of um, actually using them, it can cover any aspect of your life. And that's the way we look at it. Some executive assistants don't do personal work and that's their choice. But um, we feel based on our previous principles, as well as clients that we've directly supported that personal work comes as part of that. Um, But then so do the high level tasks. What do you mean by personal work? Explain personal work, like making sure your kid's schedule is on your business calendar. So you know where things are or, or researching the family trip or getting some quotes from some general contractors to redo the powder room or, I mean, so to be clear, these are people, uh, so in, in general, they would be organizing that, not necessarily doing, like they're not going grocery shopping for you. Correct. They're organizing the groceries to be delivered. Yep. Okay. Uh, that's interesting. That's very good. What's what's one of the 
most involved. I love stories and stuff like this. So what's one of the most involved or maybe uh, interesting stories you've heard of or dealt with when it comes to executive assistance? Um, well, personally, one of legally you can tell us. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we really try and keep it legal. Um, uh, one of the really interesting things that I did with a former client, um, who's actually still with pro assisting is, um, manage, uh, their art collection across five different properties and, um, managing it from a category standpoint, um, database, um, insurance standpoint, logistics around moving a piece of art that's worth $500,000 or a million dollars. Um, so, uh, understanding we've had some little projects in that we're building a base for a sculpture that could hold the sculpture and dealing with the company that dealt with that and what what it looks like and and again you're dealing with a high net worth individual who has very particular taste and wants it done a certain way so being the conduit between that client and the service provider or or um artist it takes some soft skills it takes answering a lot asking a lot of questions asking the right questions when you work with a principal for a number of years you get really good at asking their questions before you've even spoken with them so when you speak to the principal you only have to speak with them once because you know the list of questions they're going to go down and you've already got the answers because you've already vetted the service provider or the general contractor or the architect or the town board supervisor or whoever. So at that high level, that's, that's kind of what it entails. So um, it sounds like obviously, and it sounds almost too obvious, but your executive assistants have to have some very specific skill sets and traits that allow them to be as organized that have them being as um i guess influential in this space what are some of the key ingredients though that as somebody who would be looking for an executive assistant that i'd want to look at beyond the organizational which seems obvious what, what are some things that i want to be aware of or maybe it's situational Great question. Couple of points. Um, one, we really feel a great executive assistant is both industry agnostic and principal agnostic. Meaning, oh. um, you know, Stephanie worked for in publishing. She worked in high finance, and she worked in fashion. I worked in entertainment, advertising, and healthcare. Um, it's really about creating that relationship with the principal and that partnership, and so. Um, being able to mold yourself to the needs of the principal. Yeah. Um, that being said, when we look to partner with EAs, we want to see it on the resume first, either on LinkedIn or on the resume. Um, I'm really cautious around very short stints in a number of roles. Yeah. Um, I want to see someone who stuck it through. And I also, you know, I want to hear that story of why the change happened and what was the reasoning. Um, that gets us into the second part of if the resume is saying, yes, this is someone you should talk to, then it is more about their story, the details they provide when they're explaining something. What we find is that if someone, an EA, but this kind of goes for any job candidate, 
if they can be very specific in their details around a story or project or action that they did, it lends a lot of credibility and goes a lot deeper than being more superficial. And with EA work, the specifics are really where the rubber hits the road, if you will. And so I want to hear that. I also want to hear the warmth and, and, and tone in their voice. I want to see the emotional intelligence, both how it comes through in written communication and as well as digital communication that goes further with the soft skills and the work ethic. And if that is coming through and you put it all together and then you decide at the end of all that, do I want to grab hands with this person and jump off the cliff? Mm. Do I want to relationship? I mean, it's definitely a big relationship, right? Yeah. The way, if it's going well, it should be. Sure. Yeah. 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 Wow. Um, so what mistakes do clients make when they are working with an executive assistant that kind of blows up that relationship? The one we deal with most is um, the quote unquote, I can do it faster myself mentality. Oh, I'm sure that's got to be rampant. <laughs> well, because in the beginning of the relationship, yeah. um, a hard charging entrepreneur or founder business owner feels constricted by having to do something in double the time that it would normally take them because they're training their executive assistant. What they fail to connect with in the moment is that if you have a good assistant and you train them well, you're never going to have to do it again. Mm -hmm. And so what is the time, the com compounding time effect on you and your business if you are never gonna have to do that again? We have our own executive assistant that we've had for about six months now. And so I have had a hard time doing that as well. So mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, you know, I, I don't want to shy away from the fact that, you know, this is something that's really easy to do, but the benefits um, are tremendous. And so taking that one step further, if that's where your brain is at, you're not going to feel the value. The assistant's going to be discouraged. And then usually it's going to, it's going to drop off and, and it's going to be like, you know, I'm beyond help. But there's a lot of times when I am coaching a client through that. And it's, it's always rewarding when, when they send a note and say, Oh, I just offloaded this to Jill. It was fantastic. I didn't have to think about it. Thank you. Um, and, you know, I do a lot of coaching on both sides, the EA side and the client side through these relationships um, because it's kind of new in that the virtual assistant space is kind of viewed as more task based and you send the information off and it comes back and either it's right or it's wrong. And, and sometimes it's slower, sometimes it's faster with us. Are, given that we've limited the number of clients that our assistants have, just like your assistant, you know, you should be feeling that support Monday through Friday, nine to five, in and out of your business in the slower times of her other clients. And then when you're busy, she's focused on you. And that creates a natural relationship uh, that is sticky. And a principal slash client doesn't want to go through the process of onboarding someone else again. So 
once you get to over that hump of, wow, Jill's doing a great job, you're, you're willing to have some difficult conversations throughout the relationship to make it better, have some understanding around them living a life and also having other clients and you realizing that frankly, you're probably getting a steal in terms of what your, what your line item in your budget is for your executive assistant. And that's our goal. So I got to ask, what's the task that you in the last six months have struggled with being patient on? What do you mean being patient on? You, or you, you had said that you, you struggled a little bit with like handing you know, it, it off a little longer to get done and you can get it done faster. Yeah. What's yeah. Um, it's been merging our assistant into our business to where she is really the point person for all recruitment and having those first conversations with executive assistants, training her up on what I look for on the LinkedIn profile, how I'm going to ask someone certain questions, how to explain our model and what the important parts of it are. It's good because our assistant also serves a client as well. And so she, she's not full time with us. And so um, she came in as an assistant and then um, what that does is it, she knows the process. She knows the expectations. It's all an expectations and deadline game, if you will. Um, if, if, you know, the principal is being clear on their expectations and when the deadlines are and allowing the assistant to manage the priority of the to-do list and the projects, that's usually a, a recipe for success. Which makes sense because that's such a recipe and, yeah, just the business world in general, when you have a team member who's a, a full-time team member, one of your right. employees, giving them specific executables, deadlines, expectations, it seems as we talk here, so obvious, but for so many people, it doesn't actually come into fruition. With our role, with our roles, I think what makes it um, more difficult is that it's hard to express exactly what executive assistants do. Mm. So I get the question all the time, what do you do as an executive assistant? And normally, you know, if it was a year ago or two years ago, before we wrote the book, I was saying there's, I do a little bit of everything or there isn't anything I don't do as opposed to saying, um, I provide support to my principal as a business partner, a chief of staff, a project manager, assistant scheduler, and a personal assistant in that latter way the person asking the question can actually put themselves in that, those shoes and say, Hmm, how could I use a chief of staff? Yeah. You mean I wouldn't have to talk to the guy who cuts my yard Yeah. Uh, or, or I wouldn't have to communicate with the general contractor who talks my ear off every single time I talk to them, or I can have you interface with the chairman of the board and make sure that the board packet is all ready to go for the board meeting next week. Wow. You know, I got to assume that it's stuff like that. The, because the question always comes into my mind that I get worried about with my assistants where I was like, am I going to have enough for them to do? Mm-hmm. And you even just saying that for me, and I'm assuming for people listening, 
it just gives you another way to think about like, oh, I didn't, I didn't think about that type of thing. I didn't think about how easy it is to have them do that or getting that off my plate. And then to think about the time management aspect of it, of how much time that gives you back in your life when you're not trapped on a 30 minute conversation with your contractor, right? Because somebody else is taking care of that. Yeah. 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 And, um, and I got news for you. The general contractor doesn't want to talk to the assistant either. They, they just want to make it transactional and be done with it. That's so funny. I think we're like, talk to me for like half an hour. She's like, I did like 10 minutes maybe at the max. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. And the thing is, is that a lot of people say that a lot of prospects when they come to us say exactly what you just said. Like, I don't know if I have enough. And then they get over the hump and they just say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to sign up partnering me with an assistant and they start working with the assistant and the foundational work is that assistant slash scheduler role. So in that context, the assistant starts handling their schedule, doing their travel, putting out little fires. And through that, a trust is built. Yeah. And, and then they're like, wait a second, I need to deal with my son's nanny in this situation. Can you, can you make that call? Cause I got to run into this meeting. Yeah. And so, and then, Ooh, wait a second. I got to, I totally double booked this philanthropic board meeting. Can you go and sit in, uh, sit in for me and, and take notes? Um, I'll clear it with the board chair before, before we go. Um, kind of getting that two places at once kind of thing. That's cool. So it slowly builds. And if the relationship is going well, the trust is being built. There's a no love and trust between principal and assistant. It can it will eventually fill up all five of those quadrants, if you will. That's that's really cool. I like that that thought process. Let's talk about the twenty four hour workday, twenty nine hour workday. First of all, how how do you get the twenty nine hours out of it? I'm sure a lot of people think about that. And uh, really, let's talk, walk through like what I'm going to get when I read through that book. It's twenty nine hours because of the five performance multipliers that I mentioned. Ah, okay. It should give you um, five more hours in your day because your assistant is handling things under each of those five performance multipliers. Right. Obviously, it's a play on Tim Ferriss's book. Um, I, you know, absolutely. And um, in terms of what you're going to get out of it, it's it's kind of a guide to help you on your road to choosing an executive assistant. And then after you've picked one, how to make sure you're getting the most out of the relationship. And that's based on both mine and Stephanie's hard experience. We're, you know, 35 combined plus years of working as full-time executive assistants. And we've been running pro assisting now and we're, we're uh, six and a half years. You mentioned something earlier about, you know, making understanding that they also have a life and they have, you know, stuff going on. What, who's the perfect executive assistant or perfect might not be the best word, but uh, a successful ex- executive assistant, because I, I do probably have the stereotype in my head of going, Oh, this has gotta be like somebody young, not attached, available 24 seven, you know, all the stuff you see in the movies type stuff. So what, what, what's a good expectation as a business owner to have when you're looking for an executive assistant and their life? Well, I mean, it depends whether you're hiring full-time or fractional. Okay. I mean, that plays a role. Um, But well, and it also depends what comp 
what, where are you, where are you going to compliment? You know, uh, if that's where the expectation game can get out of whack, you know, if you're, if you're in, let me, let me try and pick a city like Nashville, Tennessee, and you are running quite a successful business and you want an executive assistant who is 24 seven and really handling everything, but you only want to comp them 70,000 a year, you're going to have a hard time filling that role, Mm -hmm. even though it's Nashville, you know, um, if you're in New York city, you know, that role that I just described is probably 200,000 plus. Wow. Um, You may be able to get someone in for, 140 plus bonus or 120. But again, you're, you're basing that all on their experience and your needs. Um, So, uh, I mean, what, what Stephanie and I always talk about is it's more, it's, and, and both of us grew up with entrepreneurial fathers. It's more having a strong work ethic and keeping your own score and caring about your work product combined with being okay, being behind the scenes. Yeah. And one of the hardest things to get over as being a top level EA is not getting recognized for things. Mm. And a good EA is a ninja behind the scenes to where their principal doesn't even know the hoops they jumped through to make sure that the trip came off without a hitch or the meeting happened without a hitch. And a lot of EAs early in their career long for that positive feedback. Whereas a seasoned EA understands that it's their job to keep that off the table, off the plate. The problem happens when it comes review time and the, the <laughs> principal is sitting there saying, oh yeah, it was so easy. Everything happened so easy. Um, you're, you're doing okay. Whereas the, the assistant needs to be able to back up in those specific moments, all of the value they provided that's going unseen. I laugh because I could totally see that is it's the ice skater problem, right? You see ice skaters every four years in the Olympics and you're like, that doesn't seem, I could probably do that. That As you don't look at the hours and hours and hours and years and years, years behind the scenes that I, I would bet that happens more often than not where there's an executive assistant who's like, you have no idea. And yeah, you have to be able to in some ways quantify your value. So you have that feeling from your principal that, you are so valuable to me. I can't just easily replace you. And if it looks too easy, it looks easy to replace somebody. So right. very interesting. Who who should be using an executive assistant? Like you've obviously seen all types of industry using an executive assistant. Who who should be using it? And do you have any examples of maybe unique ones that use an executive assistant? You know, I, I think anybody who... Well, you really start at the top. So you're saying uh, if you're a CEO running a company from a small company doing a million in revenue, you should probably have access to assistant support. If you're a solopreneur and you're doing north of 500,000 a year, you should probably have assistant support. Um, if you're un- if you're a solopreneur under $500,000 a year, then the virtual assistant and the overseas options open up. Mm. Um, 
it's all about how much you value time. And what we have found is that since COVID and, and moving beyond the pandemic, that a lot of people are reevaluating where they're putting their time. And the beautiful thing about the space that we're in and that we're talking about is there are a ton of options. So, um, you know, the rainbow of options is just significant. And COVID also sped up the realization that remote work can work. Fractional work is an amazing option. And these small and medium sized businesses can really right size the support at the moment based on their balance sheet for the SaaS products and the fractional CXOs and the fractional service providers to take their business to the next level while giving themselves back more time. Um, we see it on both sides of the equation because we're business owners, but we're also executive assistants. I still support one client. I've been with her for five years. I don't know if I'll, I don't know if she'll ever let me go. Um, but you know, the first three years of our business, both Stephanie and I were working three clients each and we proved the model and it can really work. Um, but just to put a, put a mark on it, the options are, they're a plethora. And so I actually, you know, enjoy the sales calls and the prospect calls that I get to talk to people about their situation, their business, their needs. And I still look at it as a win when I tell them that we are not the right fit for them, that they need to go over here because it does me no good to try and put a round peg into a square hole sure. just to get a client for three months and then just to have it burn out. And um, the way we reduce our churn is by being very cautious about who we're partnering with and then making sure that the expectations are clearly aligned. And if that happens, it can be go on to be a long relationship. But we have partners, um, other companies that have EAs overseas or, or um, EAs that are leveraging technology. And then there's kind of group assistants that handle EAs in a certain way. I mean, American Express has a concierge service. Um, the way that we like to think of our service is that we're like a concierge of a five-star hotel, but we know your calendar, we have your contacts and we can make purchases on your behalf. And so, um, and then over time, that legacy knowledge that builds up in that assistant, knowing what your questions are gonna be, knowing what you will say yes to and what you will not say yes to, makes us much more efficient, keeps going, and and um, solidifies the relationship and the partnership. Well, that's why I wanted to ask, because I think there's probably people, and I will count myself as one of these people before, of almost dismissing the need, right? And being like, oh, like, I I don't need that person right now. I have a lot of people who listen to the show who are doctors and work in their own practices, right? Well, I've got team members who will do that. I don't need an assistant. And I I usually will fight against that and say, no, there's plenty of options, whether it be the personal side of things or the business side of things that you can use that for. I do want to touch on something because you just mentioned it. And I want to talk about this before we go. You mentioned that even making purchases for you, where does that comfort level have to come in from the principal around giving 
that much personal information to an executive assistant. I know that when we first started out, you know, my wife was like, I don't want to have access to your email. You've got your business information in there. You've got your, you know, social security in there. You never, never know. So how does that, how do you help bring that comfort level? For us, we partner with executive assistants who've been doing the role, who understand that confidential and personal information stays just that. We, on top of that, provide insurance for all of our assistants for both errors and omission insurance and criminal liability. Oh. We, um, all of our assistants will follow the security protocols from the principal and their company and what that is, what that standard is. Uh, we have NDAs between us and our clients and between us and our assistants. But if a client wants an, a direct NDA with their assistant, we facilitate that as well. Um, but if you cut right and, and before we decide to partner with someone, we're doing criminal background checks on our assistants um, and making sure that they are who they say they are with security number checks and date of birth checks and all of that. Um, but when you cut right down to it, yeah, you, 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 there is that grasping hands and jumping off of a cliff kind of feeling to it for it. Um, it's just the same thing as saying, when is a lawyer going to screw you over? Yeah, that's um, true. You know, and the, you know, the other thing is, is that if you're really conscientious of that, get a business card with your assistant's name on it and just track that. Um, you know, there, there are ways to put safeguards in place, um, around that. And, and we do as much as possible for whatever the principal wants, but there is, there comes that moment when, uh, you have to realize that the assistant has their life too, and they're not looking to shake you out, um, because <laughs> they want to keep working, you know? Um, so so a lot of the stuff that we talked about today and uh, diving back into 20, 29 hour workday, it's really kind of the, the blueprint, if you will, for helping high performers understand all this type of stuff. You answer how many questions in that book of like this type of stuff? Questions, the number of questions? Well, like, like the question I just asked of like, if I have a concern, am I reading the book? Is the book going to help me? have a peace of mind around how I can use the executive assistant in all these ways and answer those type of questions. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's broken into two kind of parts. One is what you're doing before you decide to partner. Yeah. So answering the security question and oh, the background okay. check question and okay. all and, and the experience and what questions should you ask in the interview and what should you be looking for? And then the, the second half of the book goes into all those five performance multipliers and how you can kind of brainstorm against what we're telling you in your own life. Like, oh my God, I put that off every month. I have to do it every month. Why am I doing it? A lot of founders, a lot of entrepreneurs are doing things that have to get done, but nobody else is responsible for doing them. Mm. And it's a lot of things that an EA could handle. So um, that's 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 the low hanging fruit, if you will. I love it. That's awesome. Wow. Well, Ethan, talk about a ton of information. I mean, that's that's great. Like, I I I really do know personally the benefit of having an executive assistant, and even I have a virtual, I have one virtual, one executive that has been so 
changing for me, even just freedom to be creative. As we mentioned earlier, I'm more of a, a visionary creative. Yeah. And yeah. so to have the ability to go, um, I, I don't want to be doing this part. Can I do the fun part, you know, and have some knowing that it's being taken care of in the manner that I did. And you're absolutely right. I think for me, one of the biggest stresses was the amount of time I, I had to be willing to give to the training part of it. And, and I, and I know it like conceptually in my head to be able to say, yeah, if I just spend some time doing this now, I never have to do this again, but it's getting past that hurdle of like, I could just jump in and do that. Let me make that graphic. Let me call that person. Let me book that airline ticket. And having somebody else do that for me has been really, really freeing. So yeah, just a couple quick tips on that point, particularly Um, leverage Loom and Zoom and record your screen as you're going to book your travel and, and keep that. And then ask your executive assistant to create standard operating procedures along everything she does in your office and and god forbid she gets hit by a bus you have the bible we call it the bible um or the standard operating procedure for dino um and it goes through everything um and and as she does something new create a new standard operating procedure that's included in the bible and so you aren't starting from zero should she retire and go somewhere else and or or ride off into the sunset you actually have some of that and loom is a great and or zoom if you're recording your screen on zoom um are great tools for going through and showing how you want your crm marked or how you want an email sent or your marketing campaign or or what have you in your business processes that that can then live on and and be used as training material down the road. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of that. Even with it's funny because I haven't I actually wrote a note here going like, oh, there's a couple of things I just sparked as you were talking, having Gabby do that. The the buying my tickets the way that I want them purchased stuff like that and having that through Loom. I use um Vidyard, which is the same type of thing. Same thing. thing. Yep. I, and I for me, it's been so free because I can do it anywhere. I can give a video message. I can use my tone. I can use my words and not have to write it all out on an email. But uh, I tell my clients that are doctors all the time about this when it comes to training of use video because now you have the library and you don't have to repeat it over and over again. With turnover happening in bigger offices more and more, why pull somebody who's a $20, $25 an hour person and really cut their their value down to half because now they become a trainer instead right. of doing the stuff you want them to do when you can do it with video. So I, I love that idea. I think it's really smart, man, tons of information and leaving us on two golden nuggets there. That that's really cool. I appreciate that. So at the end of our, by the way, everybody can get the book on Amazon. Is that correct? Yeah. Amazon um, it's digitally on Apple and on um, and Android and, and also audiobook format as well. And where can people reach out to just, connect with you. I know LinkedIn is there, but yep. where? Yeah, I'm, I'm fully on LinkedIn, Ethan Bull on LinkedIn, and then proassisting.com. Uh, contact us, uh, you just schedule a free consult, and uh, I'm happy to do jump on and, and, and do that. And, you know, as I said, it's not about making, it's not about bringing on a new client. It's about making sure that the prospect gets the support they need, even if that's not us. Well, and I would just throw this out there, and I, I know, we haven't really spoken deeply about this, but 
you've been doing this between you and your wife, like I said, 30 some odd years, there's no way you can't have a conversation with somebody and them not have an issue you haven't either ran into and help them overcome that concern or that objection, or at least know where to find the answers to that. So just you being that valuable of a source period is, is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love those conversations uh, and uh, happy to do them. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, awesome. it's somewhat karma. It all comes back. Totally. Absolutely. So um, we end our show with four questions that I ask everybody based upon the role process, R-O-L-E. Are you willing to place this off the top of your head? Fastest answer you can come up with. Sure. All right. The first one is based upon your responsibility. What do you feel is your highest and greatest responsibility on this earth? Raise amazing boys. Oh, awesome. Love it. What do you want as the ultimate outcome for your life to be? Mm, success as I perceive it. Cool. What do you consider true leadership to be? Not afraid to go first. Mm, so important. You guys go on ahead. And last is your experience. Unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at it, uh, every single one of us will have a final day on this earth. We all hope it's a long time from now, but the fact of the matter is it'll happen. So between now and dead, what experience do you hope to have in your life? Well, I would love to be directing a feature film. That's cool. I'm so glad you said that. And I, I, you know, with all the ability to, to get people around you who can help you, you can make that happen. Yeah, we'll see. I, the script's got to come first. <laughs> the time has to come before that. So, you know, a couple things have to fall into place, but no, I, I, I love that. I, I love, uh, I love that exploration, but, and I'll just leave you with one, one last thing. This is what we what we say to our boys all the time. The goal in life or the point in life is to meet all of your responsibilities to your fullest while having as much fun as possible. Oh yeah. I love that. That's so true. Have fun. Just every day is a fun day. Well, Ethan, you were a pleasure to talk to really educational. And I really hope that those listening that haven't experienced having an executive assistance before will even just reach out and have that conversation with you, but even open their mind to the idea that it can add so much more freedom. I'm a huge fan of the whole who not how principle from Dan Sullivan. And this is such a great who in your life, instead of asking how you can get it done. And obviously Ethan and his wife understand how to make this happen. So thank you for being a part of this show today. Uh, Dino, thank you so much. It was a great time. Thanks everybody for listening again to the Own Your World podcast. And again, if you have any questions, please reach out to Ethan through his website or through LinkedIn, connect with him and ask him any questions that you have. And hopefully you'll make your life that much easier. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode of Own Your Role. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Own Your Role podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you're alerted for every new episode we release. And don't forget to write us a review and let us know how we're doing. 
You can also follow me on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, all the social medias. Just search at Dino Watt. And if you'd like me to come and help your team or audience learn to own their role in person, make sure you go to DinoWatt.com for more details. I'll see you on the next episode.